as I mentioned, June is up visiting with grandkids uh, this weekend. Uh, I try to get her up there as often as possible. They live in Toledo, Ohio, which if uh, you head due north and drive until you run into Lake Erie, you arrive there. I mean, it's, that's how far north it is. And so she's enjoying, enjoying her time. She always goes and gets sermon illustrations for me. That's what I love about grandkids. Uh, you, you know that. I mean, boy, you can talk about your grandkids and what they say. Uh, one of our grandsons is named Luke. Luke goes to Columbia Academy. And uh, where Jamie went to school and, and, and William as well. I'm, I'm looking for William, but I think he went to school there as well. But uh, he, you know, studies the Bible all the time. And uh, recently he was learning his books of the Old Testament. And I, I, y'all think about that, six years old, and he's learning his books of the Old Testament. I need to be very honest here. If you can say all the books of the Old Testament, would you now? Let's forget that. Okay. But anyway, he, he could get he could get to the book of Daniel, but then the minor prophets messed him up. I mean, he just is not there yet. And then he turns to my son, and he says to my son, Dad, did you and Mom live in the Old Testament? To which I think my son said, no, but Pops and Gigi did. So there you go. I tell you, I never know what's going to come out of their mouths. We, we love them so much. We are moving to a two-week, very two-week, uh, very short two-week follow-up to our series on the book of Matthew. As you'll notice here, called Lessons from the Book of Acts. We've been studying for months about how Jesus made disciples out of the 12 and the rest of them that followed him. And we finished a couple of weeks ago when John Micah did Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at that here in a moment. But what I wanted to do is spend just a couple of weeks looking at now, what did the apostles do with what Jesus trained them to do? And of course, you could spend another, you know, eight or nine, ten months going through the book of Acts. But instead, I simply wanted to look at the first two chapters. And then I want to get real practical with all of us here about where we are in the disciple making process, which will continue through uh, the month of October. But but a couple of weeks ago, we ended our Matthew series with what we call the Great Commission. It's where we actually get our series name. As you go, make disciples of all the nations. And if you'll notice here, Jesus has been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's there giving kind of this initiation that we go through if we want to become followers of Jesus. I've always been intrigued by the differences between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, all three very similar, all three based on the same theme, approach. John is quite different from those three. But when it comes to the Great Commission, they emphasize different things. For Matthew, it's baptism. This immersion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit this, this basic commitment that we make to God by being buried with Jesus in baptism and raised. Mark will come along and he'll say, it's not just baptism, but it's faith in baptism. Whoever believes and is baptized. In fact, faith is so important that if you don't believe, you know, I mean, baptism doesn't even play into the picture. Luke comes along and says, that's true. There is faith and there is baptism. 
but there's also repentance. You get over into Acts 2, verse 38. We'll look a little bit about that next week. But Peter will say on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized. And so all three writers give just different viewpoints of what it is that we do when we make a declaration that we want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I would simply say this morning, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Uh, our our kind of overall phrase that we use here at Hendersonville is join the journey. And, and we invite anybody who would like to to join the journey. I don't care where you are. If you're here today and you don't know whether or not you believe in God, you, you may be thinking, I, you know, maybe I'm an atheist. But I want to explore this concept of theism. Join the journey with us. We welcome you. If you're someone who comes from a different religion, period, and we've got all kinds of people with different religions. Uh, we've got a, a candidate right now running for president, and he's Hindu. As far as I know, the first Hindu candidate we've ever had running for president. And, and as a Hindu, of course, they believe in multiple gods. And recently he was asked point blank, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is a Son of God. Now, I want you to know this difference. A son of God, not the son of God. Why? Because in Hinduism, there's a lot of sons of God. And, and so for Hindus, when, when people go over and, and they preach and, and say, Jesus is the son of God, would you like to be baptized? Oftentimes, they baptize literally just hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. And they think we finally have converted them to monotheism and to Jesus Christ. When in reality, they're simply saying, oh, another God to add to our pantheon. If that's your background, we welcome We want you to explore that here at Hendersonville. Come to our classes. Talk to me. Talk to our elders. We would love to explore that. Join the journey with us. If you come from a different Christian faith tradition, and we all know that we, we so oftentimes have people that come from different uh, traditions that they grew up in, we welcome you. Join the journey with us and explore. What does the Bible have to say about the issues of life? So I don't care where you are. We welcome you. And we want you to join the journey. But if you want to make that step, we simply invite you to do what, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke call us to do. You want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Put your trust in him. Turn from your sins. Repent. That's what that word means. And be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you've begun that journey with him. John pointed out when he got to the end, that last phrase right there, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. John had preached the opening series in our Matthew series, and, and, and he talked about in, in Matthew chapter 1 how that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here at the end of the book, he's still with us in the form of Jesus Christ. And so great job John did in, in kind of bringing that book to a close. And let me just say, wouldn't be be amiss of me not to thank Brian Shepard last week. Boy, what an awesome job he did. And uh, I'd asked him to preach uh, several weeks ago, and, and he said, I, I got this one sermon I'd rather preach instead of preaching in Matthew. And I said, we finish up Matthew on this day. He said, I'll take the next Sunday. Brian, thank you. Wonderful job last week. I mean, basic message was no matter how far you go down, God's willing to come down and pick you up. I uh, told the wonderful story about Andy 
uh, a friend and, and someone that, that Brian had worked with. Thank you, brother. All right, let's move over into Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, Luke simply begins by saying, this is book 2. Theophilus, which means friend of God, I, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Interesting the way the Holy Spirit put doing in front of teaching. Fascinating little note there. Until the day he was taken up to heaven. Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. Okay, 40 days. And, and so he's about to ascend back to heaven. It's a week before Pentecost is fixing to start. And he's giving them his final instructions. And notice what he says here. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he has chosen. And so Jesus is giving these final instructions for how to launch this worldwide mission that he's sending them on. And what I want us to notice today as we look at it is that in chapter 1 of Acts, when it comes to making disciples, we're going to see that, that the apostles focused on three things, or Jesus and the apostles focused on three things. Each start with the letter P. So let's begin. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So the first thing that Jesus says to them before leaving is, you wait right here. You wait in Jerusalem. It's a week before you're going to receive the gift, but you wait here in Jerusalem. God has promised a gift. It's one of the most important gifts you could possibly ever receive. And I've been telling you about it. And then he goes on to say this as he instructs them about wait for the gift of God. John baptized in water. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. And so he goes back and he says, when John came, John baptized in water. It was the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But he said, the one coming after me, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, he's going to baptize some in the Holy Spirit and others in the fire of judgment. Those are the two choices, basically, that John the Baptist said you will have when the Messiah comes. Now, I love the way the complete Jewish Bible translates it. For Yochanan, basically uh, uh, Aramaic for John, he used to immerse people in water, but in a few days you'll be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that Jesus says to the apostles is you wait for the promise of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And of course, you go over to chapter 2, and Peter's going to go all the way back to Joel, and he's going to say, what you're witnessing today is what Joel predicted so long ago. Afterward, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And then verse 29, so important. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days. By the way, pouring out is simply the heavenly image of being immersed here on earth. You go over to Acts chapter 2, and, and Peter will talk about what you see. It's what's been poured out. Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit. We're on that receiving end. We're being immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know a lot of us grew up not hearing this. 
We grew up hearing Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, in fact, the entire book of Acts, with basically the Holy Spirit being given to the apostles, the household of Cornelius, and then the Holy Spirit kind of returned to earth. Can I just tell you that's not what the text says? Not at all. I, I remember many, many, many years ago, a preacher I was working with came to me, and he said, Les, help me with this. Are the apostles and the household of Cornelius the only people that the Bible says the Holy Spirit was poured out upon? And I go, no. They said, no. I said, no. You turn over to Titus chapter 3, and it talks about how the Holy Spirit's been poured out on all of us. And I said, in fact, it's the exact same word in the Greek as you find in Acts chapter 2. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, that ruins my sermon I was going to preach. And I said, well, I'm sorry. And I said, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to act as if I've never seen that verse you showed. And he did. He got up and preached the same thing that he had always heard, that the Spirit was poured out on the apostles, on the household of Cornelius, and that was it. Brothers and sisters, it's simply not what the Bible teaches. God promised through Joel his Spirit to be poured out on all of us, all of us. Who, who accept Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38. Again, I was raised. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins. End of quote. And yet the text goes on, and you will receive the gift. What gift? The gift that God promised. And what is that gift? The Holy Spirit. Why is that important? I mean, what, what is it about the Holy Spirit that is so important that God promises it, Jesus talked about it, and the early church experienced it. And the answer is in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but last, that was, that was true of the apostles. Listen, the apostles did have a very special measure of the Spirit. I mean, that's obvious in the text. I mean, God's going to do things for the apostles that he's not done for us, like bring to remembrance the things Jesus had taught them. You and I never walked with Jesus. We never heard Jesus talk. We didn't need our memories to be brought back to us like they were for the apostles. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you think for one second the power that the apostles had is not available to you and me, you've simply not read the text. Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 18, one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible about the power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Look at what Paul writes. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Strengthen us with power. These are the Ephesian Christians. And Paul could have easily written it to the Hendersonville Christian. And notice, through his Spirit, What's the purpose of the Spirit? To strengthen us with power in our inner being. You say, but Les, how does he do that? I don't have a clue. I don't. I just know that Paul believed it and practiced it, and I believe it, and we need to practice it. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. There it is again. To do what? 
probably the most important thing any of us could do. Notice, together with all of the Lord's holy peoples, that include us, I think so, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You want to change your life? You, you, you want to make strides in the right direction? You want to overcome sin that's been plaguing you? Spend some time thinking about how much Jesus loves you. Just think about it. I was driving to the church building this morning and got a typical text from June. And I didn't ask her permission to do this, and I'm probably going to get in trouble. Here's what June wrote me this morning. Dear Lord, please be with Les this morning as he proclaims your truth. Help him to speak boldly with love and help everyone to be willing to listen and practice the lessons presented today. May everything be done in a way that honors and pleases you. Keep him safe and give him the strength he needs to get through this busy day. And then she wrote, My prayer for you today and put a heart out beside it. That's why I love June so much. I just can't describe how much she means to me and, and what her support for me is. And yet that pales that the love compared to the love that Jesus has for all of us. I mean, when you begin to realize just how much someone truly loves you, it transforms how you th what, you, what you think about them and how you live in, in response to them. And watch what Paul said as a result of grasping this. Two verses down, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all you and all I can think or imagine. I mean, have you ever imagined what God could do through you? I mean, have you ever thought about, man, if, if I would just allow God's power to be set free in my life, what would happen? And notice what he says, according to his power that is at work within us. You see, brothers and sisters, one of the things we've got to realize is that our bringing the world to Jesus Christ is not us. It's God. It's not through my ability or your ability. It's through God's power. Now, his power is at work within us. I admit that. But it's through God's power. And notice that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's why the Holy Spirit, and by the way, does the Holy Spirit do more than that? Absolutely. Boy, he, he empowers us to do what God has called us to do. And by the way, he is always working ahead of us in the discipleship process. I mean, when you talk to someone about Jesus, you think you're the first person to get there? 
You don't think the Holy Spirit's not been working on that individual? I mean, the Spirit wants all of us to come to know Jesus, and he's working through all means that he's willing to do without violating our free will to get us there. And any time we are, are approaching someone, we need, to be real, we need to realize that God's already working in their life. The Spirit is working in us, through us, through others, to try and bring people to Jesus. It's not us. It's God's power working through us. And so, first of all, Jesus says, wait for the promise. Because it's only through the promise that you'll get the power. And then he says, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's fascinating that when Jesus is saying to the apostles, you wait in Jerusalem, and then I need you to be my witnesses, and you need to start in Jerusalem, and then you move, need to move out to Judea, and then you need to go up to Samaria, and then you need to go to the ends of the earth. Because anyone who studied the book of Acts knows that this is the outline of the book of Acts. I mean, basically, the apostles took what Jesus said and began to implement it. Wait for the gift God promised, and then follow God's plan. You turn over, for instance, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. And then you turn over to the next chapter. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Is it an accident that seven days later, after the ascension, The apostles are in Jerusalem doing what Jesus said, waiting for the promise. The promise comes, and all at once, those that gather around them are from all the nations of the Roman Empire. Why? Because God had called them in for that day for a particular reason, to launch his plan into the world. Coincidence? Not at all. God is already at work. God has a plan. It's not our plan. It's his plan. And all he asks us to do is to become part of that plan. He said, after Jerusalem, go into Judea. And I love Acts 4, where you already have 5,000 disciples who have come to follow Jesus as the numbers begin to radiate outside of Jerusalem, over to Bethany, all the villages surrounding, further and further into Judea. And then he says, and then you'll go into Samaria, Acts 8, 1. You get this incredible persecution that breaks out after the death of Stephen. I mean, here is this incredible tragedy, the first Christian martyr who dies because of his faith. Saul of Tarsus is holding the coats of those who stoned him, and then he launches this incredible persecution against God's people. And what happens? What happens is the same thing that happens to the lodgepole pine. There's this tree out west called the lodgepole pine. And, and the pine tree will put out cones, but they're different from the pine cones here in the east. These pine cones are literally encased in resin. Okay? Encased in resin. And, and the only way to break them open is for fire. It has to have a forest fire to spread the seeds. And these trees thrive on periodic fires that sweep through the area. Fires that we try to put out, but that God designed in order to keep these trees alive. And when there's a forest fire, these pine cones that are literally wrapped in resin, that resin melts, the pine cones open up, and the seeds go all over the place, bringing in the next crop 
of this type of pine tree. See anything resembling that here? Of where persecution breaks out and the result of the persecution is the disciples are scattered through Judea and Samaria. And the next thing you know, Philip heads to a city in Samaria and the gospel breaks out. And now the Samaritans come to know Jesus where Jesus had already planted so many seeds before. I mean, we see the gospel spreading all over the world, finally to the ends of the earth. Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Has God quit doing this? Has God quit calling us to work that he has already got us playing because of who we are and because of the gifts that we have? Has God quit planning for us? I don't think so. And you say, yeah, but how do we know that God has this incredible plan for us? Because the Holy Spirit is always opening doors of opportunity for carrying out God's plans. If you want to know, you know, what does God's Spirit want me to do? Look for opened doors. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. Paul's sitting there at Ephesus and he says there's still a lot of opposition going on. But boy, the opportunities are everywhere. Doors are opening up. I've got a good friend named Ross. And uh, Ross, uh, he he. He was a guy who never knew Jesus, and uh, Mark here knows him really well, uh, and and he never knew Jesus. Someone introduced him to Jesus, gave him a Bible. He read his Bible. After reading his Bible, he got in yellow pages, began to look for churches, found a church of Christ, went over to the church of Christ, knocked on the door. Preacher came to the door, said, can I help you? And he says, yes, I've been studying my Bible, and I want to be baptized. Would you do that? Brothers and sisters, if that's not an open door, I don't know what an open door is. Right? I mean, when people are knocking on our door going, I want to be baptized, could you do that? Let me think about that. I'll need to check with the elders about that. Yes! You know? Now, are other doors quite as obvious? No. Sometimes we get those doors wrong. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength. I love that text. I know you have a little strength. I mean, a church where everybody looked around and said, we can't do anything for God. Yeah, because it's not through your strength. It's through the strength of God's Spirit working in and through you. And when God opens a door, no one else can shut it. Look for open doors. So we have the promise. We have the plan. And then I love the last one. Peter is waiting with the rest of the apostles. In fact, 120 of them are there in Jerusalem waiting. And, and he gets up and he says, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. 
And then Peter, and, and, and of course, I have to think that Peter is relying on Jesus. One of the things Jesus did with the apostles before he ascended back to heaven, he said, let's do a Bible study. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to go through Malachi, and I'm going to point out every passage that talks about me. And boy, I would have loved to have been in that Bible study. I mean, don't you know Jesus did a, whew, what a job. And, and, and so now Peter's beginning to look at Scripture, and he's beginning to see things in Scripture that he had never seen. And he says to them, listen, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Psalm 69, Psalm 109. What's Peter doing? Peter's looking at passages that had meaning in their day, but then he looks and he says, but this has application today as well. And what is he doing? He's filling it fuller. Each of those verses, he says, boy, it holds so much more. And so this is to be fulfilled in what we're doing today. And he says, we need to replace Judas. It's that simple. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belonged. And then they cast Lot. The lot fell to Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. You see, they were the constituted Israel. There was a reason there was 12 of them. One had fallen away. We've got to replace him. What's God doing? God is simply bringing, or, or the Holy Spirit is bringing gifts and placing people where he needs them to be. And Matthias was one of them. That's one of the most brilliant parts of all that Jesus instructed is that, listen, I'm going to put the right people in the right place with the right gifts, and I'm going to empower you to do what my plan has been from the beginning. And so God equips us. He equips his people to do the plan because of the promise he's given through the Holy Spirit. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. You know, I look out across this auditorium and I realize, boy, what incredible, what incredible gifts God has given this church. And all of them are different. We all don't have the same gifts. I, I see Bill Shannon over here. Bill, Bill's been given gifts and boy, he's used those gifts. A shepherd for so many years here in the church. And then Karen's sitting right beside him. Uh, Karen has gifts Bill don't have. Bill has gifts that Karen doesn't have. But then my best is Jim sitting right beside there. Because Jim has gifts that neither one of them have. And guess what? God's working through all three of them to accomplish his purposes. And that's true of you as well. I mean, the Holy Spirit has gifted us in order to do what God has called us to do. And yet sometimes we miss it. I, I love Paul. This is in Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, or John also called Mark with him, but Paul did not think it wise. John Mark had gone on the first missionary journey. He had bailed on them. Halfway through, when they got up really into major Gentile territory, John Mark says, I can't handle this. Probably 16, 17-year-old kid, maybe 20 and he bails on, on Paul and Barnabas, and he heads back to Jerusalem, and it creates a lot of conflict for, for these guys. And so when it's time to go on, quote, unquote, the second missionary journey, Barnabas says, I'll send for John Mark, and he'll go with us. And Paul said, no, he's not. 
He's not going with us. You see, Paul just could not, because of the mistake John Mark had made on the first missionary journey, Paul simply couldn't see anything valuable in the young man. And boy, how many times have I made that mistake? How many times have I looked at people and thought, there's no way they can do the task that they volunteered for? Years ago in a church where I was working, we needed a new director for Room in the Inn. And we had this one guy who said, I'll take over that ministry. Volunteered to take it over. Now, y'all, I got to tell you something about this guy. This guy is so country. He made me look like I was from Boston. All right? I'm serious as I can be. This guy was from way up in southern Kentucky. People would say, where is he from? Let me tell you where he's from. He was from a place, I mean, you go up, you go into the age, edge of southern Kentucky, you hang a right, and when you get to the edge of the world, that's where he lived. I went up one time with him to a family reunion, and he said, I want to show you the church I was raised in. I said, okay. And we're driving down a dirt road. I mean, a dirt road like I was raised up. He's doing 50, 60 miles an hour on this dirt road. I'm just praying nobody's coming from the other direction. I'm serious. I used to drive like that as a teenager, but I'm not a teenager anymore. He finally comes to the church, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not a preacher's tale. This is the truth, all right? He came to a brick oak block building, and the name on the building was Mud Lick Church of Christ. I'm serious as I can be. Go look it up. It's in, it's in southern Kentucky. Mud Lick Church of Christ. And I'm like, you were raised at Mud Lick Church of Christ. He said, yep. We drove about a mile down the road. On the other side of the road was East Mud Lick Church of Christ. I, I looked at that and I thought, why are there two churches, Mud Lick and East Mud Lick, and they're a mile apart on opposite sides of the road? He said, I don't know. He said, but we're going to a family reunion. Somebody will know. And so we get to the family reunion, and I said, I said, find out. He called a cousin over, and he said, do you know why there's an East Mudlick and a Mudlick Church of Christ? And he said, well, I went off to war in 1950, and there was just one. When I came back, there was two. I said, well, that explained everything. Never did find out. I, I've got some opinions. I mean, th this guy was so country. But he said, I can do room in the end. And I didn't believe him. And he became one of the best directors of that program the program's ever had. You see, he had something that I misjudged. He loved people. And that's all it takes, right, Steve? You just got to love people. Paul didn't realize that Mark loved people. Fifteen years later, he's writing his last letter. And he says to Timothy, only Luke is with me. He was by himself in Rome, fixing to, fixing to be executed. And then he writes these words, get Mark, bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Sometimes we just don't get it right, but God always gets it right. And so God's made a promise. He's got a plan. And he's calling us as his people to carry it out. And so as we go this week, read Acts chapter 2. Pray that God will fill you with his spirit. I mean, Paul, Paul says, listen, don't, don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the spirit. 
We can be filled with the Spirit. Pray that God will fill you with His Spirit. And then watch for open doors. I promise you, God's putting them out there every day. It's just most of them we never see, which is such a tragedy. And then do a self-evaluation about what the Spirit is. Uh, by the way, you remember I said mistakes? That should be has gifted and called you to do, not had gifted. So there you go. Uh, I, that, that one I did not catch, unfortunately. But God's gifted all of us. Let's put those gifts to practice. If you've got a need of any kind, we have elders who will be available in the front, back lobby following services. If you'd like to have prayers, they'll be happy to pray with you. They have little name tags that say elders. If you'd like to be baptized, they'd like to arrange it. Or if you'd just like to come tell me this morning, I'll be standing right down front right now. Let's go. We stand and sing.